0: All the whack one, and the City 5 2 at the Etihad, a hat trick for Jamie Vardy. We deep dive on what was a historic game for the football club. Also, a preview of the Hammers this weekend. All this on For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby, and alongside me in For Fox Sake HQ2, Rob Hayes. What a glorious time of things we're having right now in the whole world. Isn't the world? a brilliant place. Isn't it just if you forget
1: about absolutely everything other than the current Premier League table which by the way we're allowed to look at now it's three games in doesn't it look magnificent?
0: Oh it's it's tremendous five goals top of the league at the Etihad Jamie Vardy hat trick oh jump us for goal post isn't it wasn't it marvellous it's, uh, it's it's just tremendous it's fantastic I mean end of the day you're three games in we can now look at the league we are officially top of the league and it's all going rather well there's plenty to go through absolutely loads so we'll just hit the ground running bang 5-2 at the Etihad the episode itself is called sour grapes taste sweets because What Rodri's done afterwards, I've no idea. He's just lost the plot as a professional footballer to essentially not only dismiss the team he's played and their tactics, but also his own team. And just turn around and say, yeah, we got beat. And it's 5-2. If you lose 1-0 or 2-1 at home to a team who who sit back and maybe counter-attack and and score a couple of goals from a corner or something, then you can maybe, okay, but still, it's, it's, it's still sour grapes. But to turn around and say sort of things that he said afterwards after losing five, to five, one, two, count them. You can count them on one hand just one, two, three, four, five, five, um, depending on where you're from, how many fingers you've got. But it's, it's that is sour grapes. What it also happens to be is amazingly funny as well. And it almost has a nice little gloss on what was... A historic win because not many teams beat Man City. Not many teams beat Man City at the Etihad. Not many teams score five goals. Not many players score hat-tricks against Pep Guardiola's sides, Rob. Loads and loads and loads
1: of standout sort of stats from that game. Guardiola, I don't think, has ever conceded five goals in a home game for any team that he's ever managed. The last person to score a hat-trick against Manchester City... Before Jamie Vardy on Sunday was Jamie Vardy. And, yeah, beating them on their own patch 5-2. Just to summarise, if people haven't seen this Rodri um, interview, by the way, uh, in in quotations, football has not been fair to us. For me, they were lucky. Um, maybe it is our fault. Maybe it is their strength. I think maybe it is their strength is pretty much the only sensible thing he said there. Because, yes, you might look at the the bare numbers of the game. Man City had a much higher percentage of possession than us. And they had 16 shots to our seven. Fine. But if you actually watch the game, and he did, well, he, he, that's all he did. He watched the game. He wasn't part of it, was he? He was an absolute passenger in midfield. He was part of that game. He would have seen the brilliance of every single one of those Leicester players to carry out their instructions to a man minute by minute for one of the most complete, concentrated, quality performances I've ever had the pleasure of watching as a Leicester fan.
0: It's quite funny with with him. Because of his position in Man City's side, he plays more or less alongside Fernandinho in a kind of defensive midfield role, which gives KDB more of a free role further forward and 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 you can see it's 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 a probably the best way that you can play him and then say if Fernandinho doesn't play then he will drop into that role but also he can then go further forward and he must have been sat there in the first half going well what's going on I've got really Jamie Vardy here alongside me who was hustling and harrying him all through the first half mainly and he should be further forward and it, it was all disjointed they Must have thought that Vardy was going to play on the last man, when in fact he came a little bit shorter because we've got runners from deep, the likes of Harvey Barnes, for example. And it was a brilliant, fantastic, pre-planned win by Brendan Rodgers. I, alongside pretty much everyone, I'd imagine, when they saw the team, they saw they were going to play 5-3-2 and they sat back in the first Say twenty minutes or so, and everyone was saying, "Push out a bit more. We've we've got to really take the game to them because they can take a team apart. We know that, and they scored a fantastic first goal. Riyad Mahrez, right foot, top corner. What are you gonna do? I mean, there's nothing you can do about that at all. And that kind of compounded what most people, I'd imagine, were thinking. Come on, we've sat back and we've conceded early. No one's fault, but we need to kind of explore more. But." Rogers knew exactly what the plan was. Now whether the plan works out in the end, you know, sometimes it doesn't, but that was the game plan. You said the players they all bought into it. Yes, they did. It, it, it was just a, a fantastic pre-plan which came into effect later in the first half and then in the second half It then developed into Leicester pretty much dominating and, towards the end, scoring goals for fun. Creating chances, which we did in the first half, even under pressure. And also, he's, and probably the last time we'll really mention him, but he was talking about Leicester City. The side who won the Premier League playing counter-attack football. One of the best counter-attacking teams in European football over the last five years or so. So, so what's what's his issue? It, it seems bizarre. It's a bit like complaining about Burnley punting it long or it being cold and wet on a Tuesday night at Stoke. It's going to happen. So there you go. I'm just...
1: Uh, one other quote that I wanted to pick up on from Guardiola was saying that Leicester did not want to run. I would say that is the polar opposite of what Leicester City did, particularly in the second half. I've got to agree with you. After Mares sticks one top bins with his weak foot in the first couple of minutes and Leicester are playing, essentially it was five at the back when uh, when we were out of possession. And uh, Dennis Pratt was, was playing right midfield and Barnes was playing left. It was a 5-4-1 when we were out of possession. Uh, and I thought, this is going to be a long afternoon because we've seen it before and we have um, bemoaned the apparent lack of ambition uh, against the bigger teams in the past. when Especially when we've been on a good run of form, we've got some momentum and we've wanted to go at teams. I thought, oh no, here we go again. Um, but we, we shut up shop for a little while. They didn't really create anything else throughout the game for me. They might have had all them shots, but Schmeichel wasn't really troubled. Um, and in the second half, goodness me, did we run. Yes, there were times when we were organised and got those... 10 men behind the ball and close the gaps for Man City to not be able to play in. We had to do that because they will have sustained periods of possession. But when we needed to run, we ran. How do you get goal side of a defender to win yourself a penalty three times without running? The goal that we'll, we'll come on to the specific goals, I'm, I'm sure, in a few minutes, but Vardy's goal from open play. Did you see James Justin shift 60, 70 yards to press Nathan Ake in his deep in his left back position and force an aimless clearance that Leicester picked off inside the Man City half? Bump, 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 goal. You do not score a goal like that without being willing to run. So I don't think Rodri or Guardiola have covered themselves in any glory whatsoever. They've just been tactically outclassed on a football pitch. You can blame it on their injuries. You could blame it on um, their lack of front players, if you like. They didn't have a recognised striker. Sterling was playing central. Um, but ultimately, it was a game of football between two teams of 11 professional footballers and Leicester beat them 5-2.
0: Full stop. Exactly. And and Guardiola, it's, it's quite surprising because he always comes across as uh, quite a, a, a decent chap. I'm sure he is. For me, it reeks of... Desperation. He he's, he's under pressure, a lot of pressure, and it's not a happy camp. And also, when you look at the game that they played against Wolves, the first game of the season, they were fantastic first half and dropped off a cliff in the second half. So if you are ever going to keep it tight, keep it tight in the first half and then go second. And it, it worked to an absolute T. Uh, just going through some of the three-word reviews afterwards, which if you were ever going to get involved in the three-word reviews, It's going to be this one. Uh, On Facebook, uh, my dad says only one city. Uh, Judy Potter says a fab. Not three words, but three letters. But uh, nice one, Judy. Uh, David Lusby says Rogers, tactically supreme. Absolutely so. And again, I'll reiterate, I'd imagine catching a lot of city fans out as well. Uh, Hello, We're Back by Ron Adams. Sandra Fixer says, a masterclass in patience. Uh, Oscar de Bagno, um, again, probably got that completely wrong. Nothing beats counterattack. Not uh, this weekend, especially. Um, uh, Roperdope, David Lusby again, the uh, the Ali Foreman type thing. Uh, yes, you know, it, it is the football equivalent. Uh, Taking the P by Patrick Hook. If I go to Twitter, because they were based on... On Facebook, on Twitter, again, loads of people getting in contact. Brilliant stuff. Um, that was unexpected by Ben Melbourne. Uh, we've got uh, we're still top by Jim Chapman. Uh, we have got thanks, love Liverpool. That's from Henry Jackson, who we spoke. To, I spoke to um, who writes for the Times. Uh, Nigel Beecroft. It's our season, possibly. Uh, Just another Robert says three isn't enough. Again, uh, many people. Put a a few more words than three. Um, Perco he goes simples three from three. That's four words. Perco, come on, Perco, what are you doing? Uh, Jamie F. In Vardy by uh, Jack Wright. Um, Top of the league uh, back again. Yes, he's using more letters, but uh, more words. But doesn't matter. Richard Enriquez uh, Vardy does score. It's um, it's just that all the way through. It's uh, it's it's fantastic. It's it's a uh, again a, a historical win which we'll just run through the goals the mares goal fantastic uh the first goal city score i've got down i've got, I've got down a, a few little notes i was taking a few little notes uh, when joining the game on my phone and and i've got papi mendy who we will talk about i'm sure in more detail the spin and pass uh, for the first goal, or the, to get the penalty for the first goal, when he turned away from the Man City midfield, I'm going to put down, that is the best thing he's ever done in the Leicester shirt, he had a really good game, but that specific skill, and piece of play, is something that he's never done, because he's not that player, he is still the mopper up, the just getting in there and tackling, He, he his passing is still very limited etc, but that bit of play was really good, and it went further forward, and in the end, it was a uh, uh, the ball came in, and it was a, it was a foul on Jamie Vardy. Carl uh, Walker had his arm round him. Don't think he was there. I think in commentary it was picked up where it, they, they said oh, he's got his arm out, and all of a sudden Jamie Vardy's there, and he kind of instantly put his arm round him, and then went, oh no, and Vardy's gone down. It's a penalty, and then what a penalty itself! You're not stopping that, and Leicester are back in the game. And then from then on, it just flowed and flowed. After half-time, there was only one team going to win that game. There was. It was a huge
1: step up after half-time. I would totally agree with you, Papi Mendy. Not a huge list of um, particular like YouTube compilation highlights for Papi Mendy in a Leicester shirt. Let's be totally honest. The uh, slim pickings in terms of highlights for him in a Leicester shirt. He almost feels like a new signing um, because of the way that he's been playing. And we've talked about him every podcast so far this season all for positive reasons which is something that we really well I certainly did not expect to be doing uh, I thought the extension of his contract was a very reasonable move considering the size of the squad that we'd need for the amount of competitions that we were going to be playing in but that swivel and pass where did that come from
0: it, he is like a new signing there's a there's a few things with with Mendy I've always thought he, he comes across, and I've never met the guy, and I don't think you have either. He always comes across as a decent chap and a, a nice guy. You know, you just took a bit of social media and, and what people have said about him. And I know, you know, not going to really slate the guy. But I think with this new signing, this new contract, he's he's grateful for the club. He's grateful for a contract at a, at a Premier League club on probably more money than he might have gotten elsewhere and I presume he's on a lot less than maybe he was before he's also extremely fit he is match fit and that's the first time we've pretty much said that since he signed for the football club out for so long with ankle injuries playing out on loan and reported to be um, in pain pretty much all the time whilst playing when we started pre-season the two weeks or so that we had pre-season I think it was the first game against Birmingham. He looked razor sharp. He was the one player who stood out in those games. And you oh you know, yeah Mendy's up for it. Again is he just trying to attract suitors or is he just again trying to trying to get in the eye possibly and on the bench etc. But no, there he is in the first team and performing really well. So this is the guy who who we actually signed and he just he looks fully fits he's been playing all the games pretty much from minute one to the 90th minute I don't think he's been subbed that's just off top of my head I don't think he's been subbed um it's, it, he's, he's been an extremely important player in these three games and he will be an extremely important player in the forthcoming few games because of the injury to uh, Wilfred Ndidi so hats off to him because he's taken his chance. taken and he's taken his chance so well where there were plenty of rumours, including what we were saying, and and talk regarding Hamza Chowdhury possibly going or needing to go elsewhere, because Papi Mendy is now officially ahead of him in the pecking order. And by some margin, you'd say, and deservedly be so. But it was it was a fantastic turn in midfield. Good ball. And RV Barnes another very good display. And looking back more in the highlights really than during the game because during the game you you got the emotion everything. You don't really you can sometimes miss either tactical changes or just moments that maybe didn't lead to anything in particular but something that's worth mentioning. I think looking back at the highlights, Harvey Barnes had a really good game and he he is we know about his finishing and again we're gonna mention that all the time. But he really is developing into that and I I said it a few weeks ago about him maybe if it all goes really well, and because Bale's come back into the Premier League, that because of his, his shoulders, he's, very, he's got a very similar physique to, to Bale, with his very broad shoulders. And I, at times in that game, he was running down the centre of the field. And you just look and you go, I wonder, I really do wonder whether all of a sudden, when it really clicks with Barnes, he could just turn into that kind of type of player where he's no longer a winger he just turns into a, a more central forward or a forward who can play anywhere across the field and and at times he got the ball and you could see the Man City defenders just go "Oh no and just back off and it was it was really good to see nothing really came from those um, specific runs but it was just something that caught my eye in the highlights second half though the the goal for Vardy's what second goal, the flick itself, but the move between Tillemans who we'll talk about and Castagna, one of the first times really he then got forward, it was as if they're two Belgium lads playing in the heart <laughs> of playing for Leicester. It was it was a really slick, well worked move completely around Rodri there's a brilliant clip going around the internet by Out of Context Last City if you find that on uh, Twitter where it focuses in on Rodri just looking around bemused at what's going on and then Vardy with the flick at the near post to get it high above the keeper very similar to his goal for England against Germany away in Germany and there we go we're 2-1 up he was very modest after the game i thought vardy as well because he didn't want to get drawn really on the goal he, yeah yeah oh, oh yeah i got something kind on of, it i just kind of dinked it and it went so he, he's very much like that isn't he but uh, it was a top 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 class finish as a lot of people say nowadays a sensational goal overall i mean you've
1: you've you've walked us through everything there with your words but the pass from telemans was was incredible and I watched the um, the Everton game this weekend and the amount of times that James Rodriguez got um, got praised for a pass that was pretty good. Well, very good. He's a very good player. I'm not sitting here for a second saying that James Rodriguez is not a, not a good footballer. And it's great to see someone with, with his class in the Premier League. But Tielemans has produced some exquisite passes in these opening three games you know he th- threaded the eye of a needle uh, a couple of weeks ago this one sort of a reverse pass with his left foot perfectly weighted for Castagna to get there uh, another assist for Castagna. and yeah the finish from Jamie Vardy it was it was England Germany all over wasn't it and he's it, he's had the confidence to do it once before a few years ago was it well, am I right in thinking it was his first goal for England as well that he scored like that or if a of a completely sensationalised that headline, I can't remember. But he scored a goal exactly like that before, so why would you not try it again? And it was the only way he was going to score from there, let's be perfectly honest. But again, the the fact that I've seen that clip as well of, of Rodri just looking like he's got no idea what's going on. He's made himself look a fool by coming out afterwards and saying that football wasn't fair because that goal was formed from the high press that Justin, who was playing left wing-back, was pressing Ake in his left back spot. He's the wrong side of the pitch, diagonally and vertically. He's in the wrong half on the wrong side, and he's pressed him. And then Leicester have had the quality when they've made that interception and won the ball back in the Man City half. With the quality of the pass from Tielemans, Castagna's done exactly the right thing, and Vardy continues to put the ball in the back of the net at the very
0: highest level. I think that goal can now really be called a vardy Most people would say Zola. He scored a brilliant goal against Norwich, I believe. More of a kind of flick volley uh, type effort. But it, it, it really was. And Tillemans had another fantastic game. The way he's dropped back further and playing alongside Mendy might actually be better than playing alongside Ndidi just for that role in particular, at the moment, I'm not saying obviously he's a better player, but with the way that Yuri Tillemans, he needed more of the ball, and he needed more of the ball sooner than when he had it last season. Last season he was only slightly further forward, and he could still turn away from players and and, and play the quick ball, because c- he is a very good player, but this just gives him an extra yard, and when you're playing a alongside someone who is a lot more limited than Wilfred Didi in in Mendy, he's going to be given that ball 10 times out of 10, either by a defender or by Papi Mendy himself. Here, you have it. You can do something with it. And we all know he's got that killer pass and that extra couple of yards in his head. He knew exactly when Castagna even shaped to pass the ball to him. He knew exactly... The end product, what he was going to do, and where the other guy was going to go. And at the moment, he's having a fantastic season. Funny enough, when you mentioned Hamas Rodriguez, someone said to me actually about the two today um, in conversation regarding fancy football. It was, but I, I, it did kind of click in a way. I was like, yeah, I think they are slightly different, but I think Hamas is more, more would be a, more of a ten when Tillman's is a bit further back. But I agree, he, he's having. I've, I've, Rodriguez is having a brilliant season, isn't he? He's a, what a great addition to the Premier League. But but Tielemans is having a whale of a time. And I think it really helps having the tin, tin, tin in midfield, the three Belgians. Is, it's really working. And a brilliant goal. 2-1 up. And by now, we're flying. We are really dominating. Bang. 3-1. Foul on Vardy. What does he do with the next penalty? He's going to just side foot it the other side. Keeper goes the right way. But he's he's such a confident touchwood i know he scored the goals but touchwood is penalty taken instead of just thrashing at the ball which worked on many many occasions the vardy technique of just smashing it but he's now a very competent comfortable and a very efficient penalty taker and he said after the game as well jamie vardy he says i I no where i'm going to put them i've practiced them so he's, he's not changed his mind which he did on a couple of occasions before and then, we'll come on to the injuries after the game. The fourth goal, Madison. exactly what you want with a guy who I still think is nowhere near match fitness, whether he's going to start next game. I Again, I think there is still a big question mark. But you want him to make an, an effect when he does come on, just, just for his own confidence or his own self-belief, which I don't think he's short of. But that was a goal. That is a goal. <laughs> It's a, a brilliant hit against the keeper, by the way. If you're going to score a goal like that, he's probably the number one keeper, maybe Pope, um, who's who's very tall, which does come into that kind of, uh, if you're going to save that shot. But I, I would say the city keeper would be the one keeper who's probably the hardest to score a goal like that past. So a a, tr- a brilliant shot. And then at the end, it was just the icing on the cake, wasn't it? After they scored from the corner... What do we do? Are we going to hang on? I know we're two goals up. No, we're going to get on the other end of the pitch, get a penalty, again a, a massively obvious penalty. We never even have to mention the the, the fouls for them because they're so obvious. And Yori Tilmans just puts the icing on the cake. Some
1: icing, some cake. Madison's goal was was excellent, wasn't it? It was. Um, you know, people will talk about the three penalties as obviously making a massive contribution to the five-two scoreline, but. The other two goals that we scored from open play were pretty special, weren't they? Madison, we know he's got that technique in him. um, And when he was drifting inside there, you thought, yeah, go on, go on. But did I expect him to score from there? In his current condition, probably not. I totally agree with you. He's not match sharp yet. Um, Physically, definitely not. So you wondered mentally or sort of in terms of his confidence, whether he would have that in his locker to strike the ball that well. But I guess when you're coming on into a team that is not not comfortable, even though when it was um, 4-1, it, it, the scoreline's comfortable, but the, the game was still competitive and Manchester City was still obviously more than capable of getting at least another goal as they did. But Madison's come on with a a little bit of a license to try a couple of things. He's still got to fill into his position in terms of uh, Leicester's organisation. But when he gets the ball sort of inside left position and wanders inside on his right foot, I just thought, go on, hit it. And But but I didn't expect him to, to pull it off quite so well. You, like you say, Edison's one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And to beat him like that from there is is sensational. Incredible finish. And then Tielemans gets the goal that he deserved. I just want to say one more thing on Tielemans. We talk a lot about his technical ability. But I think the thing that we have not called him out for before, but maybe that has brought him down slightly in our estimations, or certainly mine, is his struggle physically sometimes. He burnt out in the middle of last season. He doesn't always look like he's got 90 minutes of box-to-box in him. But hats off to him because he worked incredibly hard in midfield on Sunday against Manchester City with Mendy. He put in some challenges. He was neat and tidy in tight situations. He was disciplined. He was very aware defensively. We know how aware he is when he's in possession, but he was very aware of where he needed to be. And I thought it was a... One of the most complete central midfield performances we've seen from him so far. And it f- gives me a little bit more confidence that he is able to play in that position. Because before we've said, would he be more effective if we played him as a sort of number 10 and had Wilfred and Didi and then maybe somebody like Dennis Pratt as a more box-to-box player because he seems to have a bit more energy. But Telemans proved, I think, on Sunday that he's got what it takes physically to be involved in Premier League matches in the centre of midfield, playing as a box
0: to box classic number eight midfielder. Oh, by far, absolutely by far. He's he's answering the questions that were put to him, and rightly so because of such he's such a good player. We all just wanted him to be playing in the best role that will get the most out of what is a a fantastic signing and the and the that the biggest signing Leicester have ever made. Possibly until the next few days, but we'll come on to that soon. And I think this is his best role. He can obviously then play in different roles, but with players like Madison coming back in and and new signings under what what he was th- thinking, Unger watching that on, on the on the on the touch the possibilities now, and not going over the top, but you are looking at other games going and three games in da 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 da. But you are looking at Chelsea messing up and only having, what, four points? You are looking at other sides playing poorly. And you're just thinking, you know, next couple of games, two games where you would what you would label down as relatively good chances of three points. And you're just thinking five from five. There you go. You're looking very, very positive. So everything's rosy. There are a couple of problems injury-wise. Now... Vardy on a couple of occasions looked like he was going to come off it didn't it looked like his groin etc but it turns out he's got uh, an ongoing hip issue where the, which has been kept under wraps quite a lot we know he's been carrying one or two knocks but pers- specifically what it was and Roger said should be fine it takes a few days to settle down and we manage the situation fine he doesn't then I, I think he doesn't do an awful lot of training anyway It just keeps up his fitness really again probably because of this uh, so that's good news and you expect that he'll be okay for Sunday um, Johnny Evans who had a really good game coming back into defence which we'll, we'll highlight in a minute but um, he went off his, his calf uh, was tight which you can label as being first game back etc now that you would label as probably 50-50 for the weekend we'll wait and see again nothing really new has come out and, uh, and Dennis Pratt went down with a twisted knee and again, Roger says, we'll see, hopefully it's not too serious, Whether get, you'd imagine he's not going to play this weekend and he probably won't be and then the Belgium squad said there's a bit of time, hopefully it won't be uh, anything too serious. So, yes, trouble with a few injuries, but looking at it as a whole, it doesn't look at the moment, again, touch wood, that it's maybe not as serious as we first maybe feared. Hopefully not, because Dennis Pratt's had a very good start to this
1: season. Uh, He wasn't necessarily all singing, all dancing against Manchester City, but he was a very effective part of a very effective midfield. Um, And obviously he scored that Thunderbolt the other week. Um, So he will be a miss. And, you know, if James Madison is nearer to full fitness than we think or than we give him credit for, then it's absolutely fair play to Dennis Pratt for managing to keep him out of the team. You know, because if we didn't have somebody of Dennis Pratt's quality or t- certainly not playing in that kind of form, then Madison would probably have been rushed back into the starting lineup. because there was a time last season when we'd started to depend on him um, and would play him regardless, especially sort of post-lockdown. He got rushed back when he wasn't fit and and got another niggly injury that, that ruled him out. And he, he just clearly wasn't ready to be on that pitch. And obviously we had our injury problems then, but... It is a nice position to be in that we don't rely on him. I wasn't worried for a second when he wasn't in the starting line-up on, on Sunday against Manchester City because of Dennis Pratt. So touch wood that his is just a, a sore one that just takes a couple of weeks to settle down and nothing more serious than that. Uh, I agree with you. I think Evans was everything you'd expect him to be coming back in. Um, and we needed him to be there, really, because... Daniel Amati, first Premier League game in forever. Um, And Soyuncu is very effective, obviously, but he he still definitely needs that elder statesman at the back with him. So having Evans there was really, really important for us. and, And it is important that we keep him fit. But defensively, I thought we were very, very good. Manchester City, yes, they had a lot of shots, but nothing particularly... Hugely clear cut, uh, and you uh, Evans playing at the centre of that back three, which was a back five. He will have been commanding absolutely everything positionally, in front of him as well for the midfield. And it's just he's a, he's a huge player to have back for us. Uh, and fingers crossed that is just a a bit of tightness because it's his first full ninety in a in a while, and nothing
0: more sinister than that. And special mention goes to Daniel R. Marty. I mean, to play a Premier League game at Man City, the first one back in the Premier League, as you said, since forever, since, what, two years or so. And and he had a really good game. Nothing absolutely spectacular, but solid position-wise, there's one or two size, just dropped into a, a a completely alien system to a, a, a few of the players, but to drop it straight in and be not playing in the back two, which would be a lot easier than a back three. Um, I say that... It would have been maybe easier in a back three, regarding the amount of work he would have to do. But I think mentally in a back two, it would be possibly slightly easier than uh, than a back three. Just upstairs, I always think that um Soyun-chi is better in a, a two than a three. He might be playing alongside Daniel armati on on Sunday. Anyway, we'll we'll see what happens there. Almarty is an interesting player because he can play different positions, and he's. Again, had tremendous injury problems. But he's obviously well-liked and he's obviously a good player as well. I wonder what his future is going to be like. Because if, for example, we have Soyuncu Evans, a new signing. um, You've got Wes Morgan. You've still got Benkovic, who's probably going to go out on loan. I wonder what our Marty's situation will be because... I think that he's ripe for going out on loan because he needs game time and I don't think playing for the under-23s is really going to benefit him. I think he needs he needs some decent football and it could well be that Leicester send him out on loan with a view of being able to call him back at any time. He just needs to be playing. He's not going to do him any good to be on the bench at his stage of his career because he's no longer a 20-year-old lad and there's a, um, I'll throw into the same thing today... Yeah? Uh, Donnell johnson's been sent out on loan to wigan um now he's in his last year of his contract he's 22 years old he, he's he's not near the first team squad at all is he so he's going to be a player who's probably going to be sold uh, daniel armati is obviously ahead of him he needs game time and i think it would do him a world of good to go out on loan championship club you know decent championship club say and just get him proper game time and with the ability to call him back at any time. That's something maybe maybe for the future. But overall, yeah, the entire... Sorry,
1: sorry to jump in, Pete, but yeah. the, Brendan Rodgers has spoken about um, Daniel Amati in the post-match sort of fallout. Um, and he has said that he will definitely be part of the squad this season, uh, definitely part of the first-team squad, but that we are still in the market for another centre-back. Um, so, And he said that... The reason amati has got himself in the team is exactly how Chaglar Soonchu got himself in the team because when Brendan Rogers comes came in, if you if you remember, Suenshu wasn't anywhere near the first team and we didn't even really know an awful lot about him, but he said he impressed him in training and put him in, and and, and amati was the same. So it looks to me as if, well, it depends what position Rogers thinks Amati is is better in, but if you want the option of playing three at the back for parts of the season. You would want more than four centre backs, and, and it looks again as if as if Benkovic is is the man to be departing at least temporarily, um, because if you've only got four centre backs and one of them gets injured, and you want to play three at the back for the next game, that's all of your centre backs being selected at the same time. So if you have Soyuncu and Evans as the first choice, then a Marty Morgan and another new signing as your as your additional one to make five then that's the kind of squad strength we're looking for because Brendan Rodgers clearly believes that Amati has quality and he clearly had the confidence in him enough to play him in that game because you could have made an argument for playing Sancho on the right of the back three, Fuchs on the left of the back three because you know exactly what you're going to get with him and Evans at the centre. But to throw Amati straight back in, I mean, played Arsenal in midweek as well, Two full 90s after two years out, I think shows that he's going to feature for Leicester this season. And if Rodgers rates him that highly, we haven't really seen... He's another Mendy, really, isn't he? We haven't really seen an awful lot of him. He's been a Leicester player for a long while. Not seen a lot of him. Not sure whether he came to us as a centre-mid slash right-back, and now he's turned into a centre-back. Not really sure what, but he's that kind of utility player that will be really really useful in a squad of quality players that
0: can compete but also that can cope with injuries. Hey, you mentioned the Arsenal game you never want to lose a game of football you don't want to get knocked out of a cup competition but with knowing prior to the Arsenal game that we were going to play at Anfield afterwards because they were going to, always going to beat Lincoln weren't they you were going to play away to Liverpool in the next round it's Looking now, that it's not the worst thing that's ever happened to the football club losing to Arsenal because they now have a completely clear week. They have a nice run at the next game on Sunday against West Ham at the King Power, and then there is a bit of time off after that because it's an international break. And when I say international break, we'll, we'll be focusing on the Leicester players, obviously, and the Belgium players. Mob the tin 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 will be playing against England because England play Wales. England then play against Belgium, so that'll be interesting. Whether Dennis Pratt, for example, will be there, we don't know. But it all of a sudden, you then have yes, a lot of the players go to their country, etc., to play these games. But there's a lot of the squad will then have a little bit of time off. So it's not quiet at the moment, and it's all it's going to really ramp up soon. But the games aren't coming thick and fast for Leicester, as maybe feared in the first few weeks, when you look at another club like Tottenham, who are playing pretty much three times a week, we haven't got that. So that's it's it's quite a nice little thing that this international break has come. Yes, for some players not so, but for others, and fingers crossed, everything goes okay with them. Now, when we play 5-3-2, I don't think that's going to be all the time, but it does... Beg the question: Where will Ricardo come into the side? Because Castagna has nailed down that spot at the moment. When we play, and I expect to go back to a four-two-three-one against West Ham, he would automatically be the right back. Castagna, whether he can play on the left, which we know he can, but whether he dislodges then Justin, who's done nothing really wrong at all, I still think that's the way we'll play. In, and Ricardo is now training with the first team, which is great news. But He has to be over a month away still, you'd imagine, from being possibly selected by the first team. That's a nice problem for Brendan Rodgers to have. Also with the defence, we know regarding injuries etc and possibly new signings. And then further forward with the new signing, Chenge's Under, does he come into the side against West Ham? Does he slot in on the right, Barnes on the left and a number 10 in the middle, whether it's madison or whether it's maybe perez for example and then vardy up top depending on whether vardy's fit um if you were going to say rob that's everyone's fit to play um apart from dennis pratt who i think we can safely say is not going to be involved at the weekend uh how would you go about things i i would i would go about it uh, just to say first how i said the normal defense with then the midfield to Mendy and Tillemans. The three being Undair on the right. Uh, in the middle, uh, sorry, in the left, Barnes, Vardy up top. And then the number 10, if Madison's fit, play him. But I would love to see Perez in that role. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see because we
1: have said on this podcast a number of times that we think he appears to be the most effective when he is in a more central position. And at times last season, he did... Drifting in off that right hand side to allow Ricardo on the overlap um and try and get some interchange with Vardy and Madison in a more central position. And that's when he looks better. Um whether you whether whether he is a number ten or not, I don't I don't know. Um playing West Ham is an interesting one because they, they didn't look very good at the beginning of the season. Uh, So much so that I chucked in a couple of Wolves players for their game last night uh, against West Ham. Uh, That has miraculously played in my favour, but we'll get to that later on. Um, And they looked all right against, against Wolves, who have obviously started the season a little bit sluggishly. But home game against West Ham, with Madison having had 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there, then I would start him, especially because... He will be full of confidence anyway, because that's the kind of fella that he is. But with that wonder strike against Man City, he'll be sort of feeling back to somewhere near his previous level. And if you only get 60 minutes out of him, fine. Uh, And whether Perez is playing on the right with Barnes on the left and Vardy through the middle, and then Perez comes into a central position uh, when Madison gets subbed off and Under comes on for half an hour for his debut wait and see it's got it's got to be managed quite well i think because has madison got 90 minutes in him probably not at this stage perez still seems to me to need some uh he needs he he seems to me to be the kind of player that needs game time and needs to put in some good performances to give himself the belief that he's actually as good as we've seen in glimpses so his time's got to be managed carefully um i think starting under and madison would be a little bit of a risk uh And a relatively unnecessary one. Just because Under obviously will have been training with the team, but has not yet played in a Leicestershire. And Madison is still finding his feet back in first-team competitive football. So I would start Madison in a central position, Perez on the right, knowing that Castagna is going to be galloping round him on the right-hand side, just as Pereira did, to allow Perez to drift inside a bit more. Uh, have under on the bench uh, and then you've got him perfectly lined up for two situations. If you're in need of a creative spark because you're not, you've are not you not broken the deadlock or even you're behind, you bring him on and you say, go on, do your thing, show us what you're made of. Or if you're winning by a couple of goals and you're relatively comfortable, you bring him on and say, look, here's a nice easy starter for you. So uh, that's the way I'd go. I'd go Madison Central, Perez on the right,
0: under on the bench. And hopefully... Uh, the injury for Johnny Evans isn't as bad. He, if it is, then he'd be unlikely then to go um, and play internationally. And and again, it's it's kind of ripe this international break after the game against West Ham for players to go. well, I've got a bit of a this, that, and the other. You know. And and clubs especially to sit around and say look yeah we're not going to send Johnny Evans out look he 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 went off a couple of games ago etc and um and also to manage the game it'd be nice of course for a Leicester win but it'd be nice for it to be quite comfortable and then certain players if it's just taken off through precaution or or just as a look maybe forward to say look we've taken him off against this game so we you know we're not going to send him to his country for example someone like Evans would be prime for that um and, and West are Crazy side, I agree with you. The game against Wolves was terrible for for fans of Wolves, fancy football players. But West Ham were Wolves were poor. Don't get me wrong, but West Ham were were really good, really slick, and and they and and they and they played well. They had a nice system, and it looked to be quite coherent. To the fact that David Moyes wasn't there. Might have had something to do because he was um, he was at home with uh, with a positive COVID test, I think. So whether he's going to be at the KP on on Saturday, Sunday, I don't really know. But a very interesting game, and and one you'd expect and really hope Leicester to go and win. And I do, I I do expect them to go and win, and I think they'll win, and I think they'll win reasonably comfortably. I think if they if they start well, especially if they get the first goal which is always crucial, and we say that every week, but against West Ham, a side who have rolled over on many occasions, but started well against Wolves, and they'll have their tails up on Sunday. And if they start well and score first, then... That, that could be a, a real danger sign because you could be playing against uh, a, a side who have underperformed massively over the number of years but do have decent players and all of a sudden they're just in, in top form. So getting an early goal crucial but I, I, I can see Rob, for me, something like 2-0, um, whether it's going to be Vard. Barnes always, especially at home I think, um, would be one for, for a goal. Maybe a, a defender coming forward. But I can see a, a reasonably comfortable win. I don't think maybe the goal fest that we've had in games so far, I, I'll I only go for a 2-0 win. You say that, I'm just looking back at West Ham's results so far this season.
1: Um, they've scored 13 goals in the last four games, which is madness. So obviously, two of them were in the League Cup against Hull and Charlton, so read into that whatever you like. But... <laughs> I'm not sure we'll keep a clean sheet against them. To be perfectly honest, with 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 that kind of uh, eye for goal that they've got at the moment, they've got Antonio up front who is physically uh, a proper handful. Bowen got a couple against Wolves, which will do his confidence the world of good. Ale has scored a couple of goals this season in the in the League Cup, and I think he got the fourth against um, against Wolves as well. Yeah, he did in the in stoppage time. So they, they somehow seem to have found goals from somewhere, but are they good enough to beat us? I don't think so. Especially if we use this Manchester City performance as a platform um, with to to generate even more momentum. If the first two games weren't anything to go by, um, I think we'll come out comfortable. But I would get I would go I'll go for three one because just looking at West Ham's recent scoring record. I think we might struggle to keep a clean sheet, and that obviously also depends on Leicester's uh, defensive options, because if we play four four two 2 four, two, three, one rather, 4 at the back, and Evans isn't fit, it's an interesting choice to partner so into. He's publicly back to Marty. Does he back him to play as a two-man defence? Who knows? Um, Morgan's obviously the club captain. Fuchs can slot in there as well, so uh, obviously there's no Undidi to call upon now, so it would be an interesting one, but I think we'll have too much quality for them and
0: too much confidence for them as well. We might have a new centre-half as well by Sunday. There's growing reports that um, Wesley Fafana has, or at least the club have, since Etienne accepted a, a bid by Leicester. Reports by Keep, again, a publication in France who aren't notoriously known for just making up random stories they tend to be um what they say tends to have happened or will happen and um between 35 and 40 million euros so take about five or six off that and then you got the pounds so you're talking club record territory especially if it's towards the 40 and by the sounds of it a lot of it is or pretty much all of it is up front um one or two other clubs started to make noises I think uh, AC Milan was one of them and by the looks of things, they've gone in. There was the reports by uh, John Percy that uh, Tarkovsky, was, uh, another bid went in for him, around 30 35 million by Leicester. We know that Burnley want more, but I think that's almost a kind of last chance. lot. This is our biggest offer. This is what we rate the player as. This is what we're going to offer. Whether the player then forces it through, there you go. And if we sign him, great. But I think by the end of the transfer window, which is on Monday, I believe, October the 5th, uh, we will have at least one of those two players. Which one it will be? I still think it's pretty much 50-50. They obviously like this Fafana guy and they want to get him because he sounds like the next big thing. Now, what he would then bring to the first team squad immediately, we don't really know because he's still an unknown. He's still only 19, played only a very few amount of games. And do you can bring him into the first team straight away. But then again, you spend so much money on a guy, you're not really going to shove him in the under-23s, are you? It's a a weird situation. But then again, we have had Benkovic and Soyunchu who weren't signed for a million pound each, were they? There was a, quite a few quid spent on those two and they spent time in the under-23s. So that will be a, a completely different uh, prospect. Someone like Tarkovsky would be a bit more... Um, a bit easier, really, because he is ready-made Premier League player, and you know, even if he spends a few games on the bench straight away, I'm pretty sure that wouldn't be the worst thing for him, because he understands the scenario at Leicester, and what's going on, and then Europa League, and all sorts, that's going to happen later on in the season, and he will get his chance, etc. You know, he's come for the move to the bigger club with better prospects, and England prospects, etc. So, there's not really an issue there. But which one, Rob? And, I, and this is a crazy question because there's no real right answer, but who would you prefer? I was just thinking about that. Funny that you should ask me that, just as I was sort of weighing up
1: the options in my head. I think at this stage, I would prefer Tarkovsky because 27 is a great age for a centre-back. It's, there's no risk in terms of the fact that his legs are starting to give out. Um, he's got plenty of Premier League experience now. He is probably the next in line centre-back for, for choice for England. If not, you know, some parties would have suggested that he should be selected above players like Michael Keane, for example, um, from Everton for, for England. So he's in that conversation. Um and he's ready-made. He could come straight in whenever you need him to play. Straight in. Obviously, obviously, he's been out for a couple of games with some kind of toe injury, I think. Um, and, and the transfer fees that are being talked about for the two players are very similar. So you can't even really take that into consideration. But you you wouldn't invest that much money in a centre-back that was say 30-31. I think that that's that's silly. But at 27... James Tarkovsky could sign a five-year deal at Leicester, for example, and see out all five of those being a regular first-team quality player. And if you're looking for depth in the squad that is trustworthy, then for me, he's the option. But it depends what the recruitment technique is, because if you want to bring in a centre-back, that is going to dip in and out of certain games, maybe ones of less priority or, or perceived to be easier games, then then Fafana would be a decent option. And either he comes in and absolutely lights up the Premier League and becomes our next big sale three or four years down the line from for considerably more than you invested in him. That could conceivably happen. But he could also come in at 19... I don't think there are many centre-backs in the world that have ever been good at 19 or, or great at 19. Uh, and obviously there's a lot of talk about potential, but he's just not had the games to to be able to prove definitively that he can fulfil that potential. So if it, if it, if it was my decision, I would be choosing Tarkovsky. But I think from reports today, especially seemingly a few developments today, uh, that Fofana is going is the more likely seems to be leading the race. That, look, we need a centre back, and either of them would be fine. Uh, but uh, my personal choice would be Tarkovsky.
0: Yeah, just looking at uh, Tarkovsky, he, he turns twenty eight in November. Uh, Fofana, he was born for Christmas, year two thousand, which is scarily not long ago. So God, it makes us feel old, doesn't it? Yeah. So he turns he turns twenty in December. And just reading the Mercury report in 32 million bid accepted, um, we don't know the answer, do we? You know, the safe option is is the Burnley centre half, but there's no resale there. But then again, he could turn into a Johnny Evans type player who, in their early 30s, if if you're that sort of player, you, you're invaluable to to any club. And I think that's why they don't want to spend any more than thirty million. It seems to me that is their absolute ceiling. They're never going to go more than that. Um but this Fafana guy, it's very unlike a club like Leicester to go so big on a completely unproven talent. They went big with Slomani, but everything t- ticks everything was right with Slomani, apart from when he got here, and even though he was a success to a certain point, overall it was disappointing. Um But there was no reason why we shouldn't have signed him, because he just looked the absolute business, and we tracked him for a number of t- a number of years. But this, Fafana, is a completely shot in the dark. Um, now, I'm the sort of person who, in horse racing terms, you might have two at the top of the market. One is the experienced sprinter, who's been there, done it, never lets you down, runs to a very similar level all the time. And then you've got the young upstart alongside him, who's shown one or two glimpses of possible superstar and going to go way beyond the quality of the experienced rival and I kind of back that one I, that's my horse you know the one that could turn into the superstar so when it comes to which one would you go for I'm going to go for Wesley Fafana six foot three seems to be the business and if he turns into a, a World beat brilliant and he ends up being sold to Barcelona for 150 million quid whatever but if he turns up and he starts being a bit, I want to play, you've signed me for all this, then they might give him a go if they're going to play five at the back. Give him the the spot that Armati was. Or, at times, maybe, towards the mid-part of the season, play him at centre-half, alongside Soyuncu or alongside Evans, and give Soyuncu a rest, who will be playing for Turkey for the next couple of games in that window. It, it could be the chance for him to get that game time and then all of a sudden we go, Crikey, we, we really have, you know, backed the right horse with, with this guy. So one or the other will be at the football club. I think we can safely say by Monday, at the moment, it looks like the scales have tipped towards Fafana, but we'll see. It's I, I think if the Fafana thing falls through the Tarkovsky whether there is another player going the other direction you know you look at someone like Gray who knows whether he wants to go to somewhere like Burnley or not you know it's it's that could well happen um but we'll see we'll see what happens one thing that we will see or listen to at least is the Europa League draw Rob we are potentially in pot three I think there is still a question mark surrounding that with the Europa League qualifiers still being played this week Tottenham, I think, are, for example, in um, in God knows where on Thursday. So there are still a few um, boxes to be crossed with who actually then qualifies. And I think there is still a possibility that we might go into a different pot, but very un- very unlikely. So we'll be pot three. So you've got your best teams in pot one, second best teams in pot two, we're in three and then in four. Um, kind of the rabble, although there are one or two clubs in that pot four who uh, who do look quite tasty as well? So we could still have a really difficult group, but exciting, desperately disappointing with the fact that we can't go to these games, or more than likely we won't be able to go to these games. But it is still exciting.
1: It is exciting, not quite as exciting as the Champions League draw, I'll I'll have to say. Uh, and many of us would have been hoping to be looking forward to a Champions League draw this season, but it's still European football. And, and I'm kind of torn between the way I want the draw to go, to be honest with you. Part of me, because we're playing in Europe and you you can never guarantee with a club like Leicester if and when it will happen again, um, part of me wants some of the sort of giants or sleeping giants, shall we say, if they've been uh, condemned to the uh, Europa League um, in the group stage. So so you know that he guaranteed some, some decent European nights. But part of me wants to... Play a few nobodies, get through the groups, uh, get through the group rather, and and then get into the knockouts and have a real good stab at it. Because I think really, especially this weekend, we've proved we can go toe to toe with the best in the Premier League, and we proved that for large periods of last season. There's no reason why we can't go up against most of the top teams in Europe, especially the ones that have finished wherever in their respective uh, countries. Top flights in order to qualify for the Europa League, not the Champions League, we've got a great chance of winning the Europa League. And you know, if you if you look at it that way, you're gonna have to beat some good teams along the way, so it doesn't matter where they come, whether it's in the groups or the knockouts, not really. But either way, it's very exciting. It it'll be interesting, it'll add a different dimension to our season. I almost I can remember it. I've got lots of fond memories of the Champions League season, but it almost felt like a bit of a dream Um, because winning the league was still so raw and at times it was one of them things that you had to almost re-remember and go, oh my God, yeah, we won the league. And, uh, oh my God, we're playing in the Champions League. And some of those nights, you know, you and I are fortunate enough, some of the games we commentated on, uh, a couple we selected uh, as ourselves to, to manage to go to as, as spectators. You managed to go on some of the away games as well, which was fantastic. Thoroughly enjoyed it, but more of a dreamlike thing. Whereas, And, 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 and anything was a bonus in the Champions League. Whereas this Europa League, because we are building a club that seemingly is going to be competing... It for European places for the foreseeable future, um, and that's now a short-term goal, That we a few years ago we were looking medium-term, it's a very, very much a here-and-now target for Europa League football as a minimum, then the Europa League itself represents an opportunity for some success, for some silverware, and for some very, very enjoyable random Thursday evening
0: matches. Yep, 100%. Go straight for the Europa League. No messing at all. Depending on what happens in the qualification leagues, if you're winning, just like in the Champions League where we went to Porto and played uh, a completely reserved team. I think Harvey Barnes wore the 45 shirts. He was only, what, 10 years old at the time, and we got spanked. But if that happens, then fair dues. We'll see and we'll manage, manage each game depending on the league situation. But yeah, go for it. I mean, the league, I think the the league that was drawn up possibly it could be ac milan um celtic auya I mean what, uh, playing celtic with the old rogers thing that would be No, well, it would be great if we win but if we lose on oh that that would be great and i think then uh, leon not leon Lyon would be um another team that's kind of like best slash worst scenario worse in terms of trying to get through but it would have been great to gone to those games that's the big disappointment because and we all know you know speaking to the preaching to the converted here but it's the, it's the go into the away games there's no sitting by the you know um whatever website for for plane tickets to, to to whereverville there's none of that and 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 there really isn't i've got no desire at the moment to go to anywhere because of you got the 14 day quarantine and all that sort of gizmo who knows what can happen by the time the games come around uh, whether they take place or not you know it's it's just so much up in the air and that's the big disappointing thing but get used to it kids because we're going to be in the Europa League hopefully for the conceivable future and there was also this UEFA Conference League or whatever nonsense for the the one team who will now not get into the Europa League i think if you win the the league cup you go into this third-rate competition why we don't still have the cup winners cup in the euro there was a really good um clip today i think it was when um it was only in the 90s i don't know exactly which year but it was when uh it would have been 26 years ago so it was 94 when aston villa they beat inter Milan over two legs in the UE- uefa cup uh, and it went to a penalty shootout and you got the likes of um Dennis Bergkamp, etc., and it was Big Ron, his uh, Aston Villa side, and it was just the highlights on on this uh, Twitter feed. It was the Blizzard actually who who put it on there. If you follow them, and you're just thinking, yeah, that's that's the Europa, UEFA Cup. You know, this time of year, you could we played obviously, uh, Atletico Madrid in the first rounds and and Red Star Belgrade. You could play into Milan. You could play these teams in the first round. Just have it as a big knockout competition. If you want to seed the first couple of rounds, then do that. But if I just think it should have been like the FA Cup. Just make it like the FA Cup of European football. The UEFA, uh, the UEFA Cup. Who knows? You might get a nice draw and get far. You might get a terrible draw and not go very far. And if you want another competition, guess what? Call it the Cup Winners' Cup. Because at the moment, the League Cup winners are going to go into that competition. So it is the Cup Winners' Cup. But... There you go. I'm I'm talking nonsense now, but uh, well, probably not. I think many people might agree with me. Finally, um, well, Leicester City women played Manchester City women at the same time or a couple of hours before, but on Sunday, and that was in the quarter final of the FA Cup. That was last season's FA Cup because of all the issues, and and they lost two one, but that uh, in itself is a a fantastic result, I know they didn't get through in the competition but Man City are just so, they're right at the top of English football and along with Arsenal along with Chelsea in the Women's Super League and Leicester have ambitions to get through to the Women's Super League this year by winning the the championship, to lose 2-1 to a team, if I was in charge of an average um, WSL side Bristol City, uh, Reading etc and you play a league game against man city and you end up taking them all the way and losing 2-1 you put that down as a really good effort against these sides who are winning eight and nine nil so to do that at championship level that is an amazing result and something hopefully that kicks them forward in the championship because they've been playing brilliantly and and i think a lot of people have been following because of the link up via social media as well they may be not just seeing the results, for example, but at least people are, are are paying more notice because of the link up between the two, the Leicester City women and and the football club as a whole. So uh, yeah, if you looked at that results and you oh disappointing, they lost. That overall is is a, is a fantastic performance.
1: It isn't. Some uh, I saw the result at the time and I thought, you know what, fair play. That that obviously, obviously <laughs> beating Man City would have been an outstanding performance, but still to to be so competitive in that game. Um, is absolutely fantastic. You know, the England captain, Steph Horton, is Manchester City's captain. You know, Georgia Stanway scored for them, who is in and around the England squad. It's um it's a very, very talented side. Um and one thing I found out today actually is that the um that Leicester were only able to name six of their new summer signings in their squad for this cup final, uh, cup quarter final against Manchester City, because as you say, it's rolled over from last season, and the FA have said, well, to, to make it a continuation of last season's competition, you can't basically put out an entirely new team that weren't around when you're in this stage of the cup. Um, and if you look at the recruitment that Leicester's women's side have have managed to achieve over the the off season, in order to be competitive in the championship this season, it's been quite significant. Yes, the funding has been there now that they're affiliated officially with the club that wasn't there before. Um, but they've assembled a squad that that we would hope would be competitive in the Championship and would hopefully be able to get themselves promoted into the WSL. Um, but to have a lot of those players not available for selection makes the result even better. Uh, the scoreline and the performance makes it even better for me than if they were able to chuck in all of the new players who are... The majority of them are of a higher quality that will enable Leicester to compete in the Championship. But fair play, really, really good performance and a lot of good signs there that we can look forward to a successful season for the women's side in the Championship.
0: Yeah, it's actually very much the case that in the men's uh, side of things. If you are a, let's just say, playoff side in the Championship or just outside of the playoffs. It's like going to Man City in the FA Cup in the men's side of things and losing two one, taking them all the way. You put it down as a as a as a really good result, or a brilliant effort, because the likelihood of being turned over was very high. Very similar. Breaking news, Rob. Breaking news. Um, I, I'm obviously going through Twitter, etc. Uh, Rob Dorsett's uh, on Sky, the Sky Sports reporter. I noticed reported about Saint Etienne and Wesley Fofana, and it was just confirmation that there was a bid made. And obviously, with Sky, they have to be slightly careful. They just can't. I know this is going to this is, might get called for this, but they can't just rip, um, tweet any nonsense. I think they have to double and treble check first before kind of just tweeting anything. Obviously, some things that they do doesn't work out that way, but they're not just like any publication or Twitter handle so he was about five or six hours behind the news he's just tweeted now as we're recording since Etienne have announced that they have agreed a fee with Leicester for Fafana they say their biggest ever fee whatever that could be but I'd imagine it's around the 30 to 35 million mark so there we go they've agreed a fee and you'd imagine the player would have no problem with the agreeing details and and personal stuff with Leicester so it looks like Fafana is going to be the man.
1: Well, that's interesting that it's happened as we've been talking about it. Yeah, I've just um, I've just stuck it into Google and lots of sources saying that uh, Saint Etienne S- S- have announced that a fee has been agreed as reported a bit earlier on, uh, today being Tuesday. Um, yeah, interesting. You wouldn't imagine that the personal terms will take an awful long time because Fafana himself seems very keen on the, on the move. Um, And it will just be a case, hopefully, of ironing out the formalities and getting it through fairly quickly. Uh, Maybe even see him possibly available for selection on Sunday. But there you go. I I wanted Tarkovsky, but it doesn't mean that I didn't want Fafana. And hopefully for this kind of figure, he can make a name for himself at the club.
0: And finally, on to the FPL Fantasy Premier League. Let's hear that music. (laughs) So the For Fox 8 Podcast, uh, top 10 in 10th place. We've got uh, Humza Yardini with FC Mordor. In 9th place, we have Eureka Tillemans, Tom Strangewood. Uh, in 8th place, down in 8th place, we've got uh, Glens uh, Gulgosa, uh, Gulgosa, Max Magnuson. not sure about that team name. Anyway, into the top 7. 7th. We've got a win by VARD, nice name, George Escott. In sixth place, we've got wok a Who by Todd Avery. Top five, up into the top five, all big point scorers this week. We've got in fifth place, Owen Schofield with Le So Solid Crew. Good name, used that before. Top four, Kieran Ford in fourth place for Fook's sake. In third place, with 104 points this week, what have you done with your sights? Have a quick look at this. Captain Vardy, Castagnezette Mings, he scored. And he got a clean sheet with Martinez. So you got a goalkeeper clean sheet. Alexander Arnold, Grealish. Oh, my God. Oh, dear. 104 points. Amazing. And that's by Drake Martin with Drakewater. Water. And the top two are Vegetable, Castagna. Stephen West in second, and still at the top is stay home, eat out, get fat, Ian Barker. 230 points. Now, Rob, I am down into 21st place. Only got 44 points this week. The lack of Leicester players cripple me, really. Uh, I have James Justin, but he was on the bench, but I didn't have Vardy, and... In our podcast league, that's crucial. Missing out on Vardy scoring a hat-trick is just going to absolutely decimate my side. I actually think I had a half-decent week, really. So I'm not too unhappy with the 44, but in our league, I'm going to get crucified. And Rob, your team in 28th place with 57 points this week, and you're only, what, four points behind me. And you did have Vardy, but he wasn't your
1: captain. He wasn't. As as I alluded to at the very start of the episode, I, I was very fortunate that Daniel Podence didn't manage to make the matchday squad for Wolves. I'd captained him because he seems to have started pretty well. He played really well um, when the Premier League restarted uh, it, after lockdown. Uh, and I thought they were going to turn West Ham over. So I put Podence as my captain. Um, Vardy as my vice. I normally have a Leicester player as my vice captain just for insurance purposes. Because we're back at Leicester to win every week, of course. Um, And then Podents didn't make the matchday squad. And I quickly had a look at the rules and I was just like, yes, get in. So Vardy, being my vice-captain, because my captain didn't feature at all, gets double the points. I'd have been struggling. I'd have had a very, very slow week if
0: Vardy's points hadn't been doubled for me. But they have, and I am closing in. You are, to be honest. Without Vardy, you'd have been really struggling this week. So <laughs> you've you've kind of dodged the bullet there because you would have been right down the league. But anyway, that's the fancy football. So, fingers crossed, a nice City win on Sunday. And we might even have a new player by the time that you're listening to this podcast. He actually plays, uh, I've just seen nice and uh, handily, uh, with the number three on the back of his shirt. So it says on Wikipedia, so there is the Open 3 shirts at Leicester. And uh, I presume there's going to be a rush for my now new favourite shirt, the maroon shirt. Because of all the success we've had wearing it, it's, it's now, I'm fine with it now. It's absolutely fine. The shirt's wonderful. Leicester's wonderful. The results are wonderful. And hopefully you think the podcast is wonderful. That's it for this week. We'll be back after the game against West Ham with a view to the next game against Villa. I look forward to the qualifiers for England and other teams and what that has and any effect on Leicester. I imagine, Rob, we'll do it after the Monday because of the transfer window. So we'll review all the goings, ins and outs at Leicester. Remember, the transfer window closes on Monday. We'll know who we're playing in the Europa League as well. So actually, we're going to have an awful lot to talk about this time next week we are indeed and then we can look forward to
1: the international break and give everybody's ears a rest for a week or so